Hi there, welcome back to the business side of fitness. This is your host, Vanessa Severiano. Each week on the show, we'll highlight fitness industry experts to learn about their personal journey and unique perspective. Through these conversations, we'll learn all about what it really takes to succeed in fitness. This show is brought to you by Vanessa Severiano LLC, specializing in fitness and wellness business development for impactful brands. The time has come to start the show. Everyone's got a story, and now it's time to hear from this week's guest. Since its inception in 2012, Sweatworks has grown from a fitness app company to a multifaceted, multidisciplined digital agency with offices around the world. As the founder and CEO of Sweatworks, Mohammed Iqbal drives strategy, creativity, and innovation, as well as embodies the core values of the agency, staying active and healthy. Mohammed has been an invited speaker at the leading event and fitness conferences around the world. Welcome to the show, Mohammed. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Likewise. So, Congratulations, because Sweatworks has really made its mark in the fitness industry, and I'd love to hear a little bit about how you developed this business since you did not originally start in fitness. So tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I spent about 10 years in a large company, actually in Malibu, New Jersey. We were just talking prior about our roots in the tri-state area. And I was working for a large Fortune 500 company, which is going great. But I've always had this passion for fitness. And I think that as I was going through my 20s, it became a more routine part of my life. It's how I relieve stress. It kind of kept me sane. And I continued to, to develop that. At the same time, I was at the forefront of technology, at the forefront of innovation in consumer electronics. And after spending about 10 years at a large company, I said, you know, here's an opportunity where I could combine my passion for fitness with my know-how in technology, really create an agency that could potentially help brands reach more people. And um, in 2010, I kind of started ideating on the idea and what are the types of resources we would need? What are some of the things that we could do? And started coding uh, the initial concepts for brands in 2011. I actually pitched uh, some of the ideas that we had, you know, with fitness companies who typically weren't used to the agency world. They weren't necessarily used to having an outside company come in and help them innovate. So after I got acceptance and from a few brands that said that we'd love for you to come in and do this for us, I went ahead and founded the company formally in 2012. Wow. So, so it's been eight years already, which I would definitely consider you an innovator because now it seems like everybody's jumping on the bandwagon with getting their tech uh, lined up. I think the fitness industry has, you know, has been a little behind the eight ball. So kudos to you on, um, you know, seeing that coming down the pipeline. So talk to me a little bit about that entrepreneurial journey. Were you still pitching Sweatworks clients while you were at your full-time job, or did you just quit your job? Well, I actually had a personal infliction, and I feel like when I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs, there is a, a thing that might happen in their life. There's a change uh, that, that might have happened that spurred them to go ahead and pivot. And for me, I actually was 
married, I'm, I'm remarried again, but I, I went through a divorce in 2010. And that gave me an opportunity to help reset not only my personal life, but I also used it as an opportunity to reset my professional life. So I took that and I said, well, um, here's a chance where I could now not only pursue some of the things that I wanted to do personally, but maybe craft a, a professional life that kind of reflects this, this new me. And um, that's what happened. And, and I initially kicked it off with uh, thinking that this might be a six-month project. And hey, if it didn't really work out, I can always go back to the corporate world. But now here we are over eight, eight years later. Wow. Well, I can definitely relate to that. I also got divorced and I can attest to the fact that unfortunately it is uh, a huge wake up call and it does really sort of make you look and reassess your priorities um, and decide, you know, what direction you want to take your life in. So kudos to you for hitting the reset and really taking it in a positive direction. So tell me a little bit about your clients at Sweatworks. What do you do for them? So there's quite a bit that we do. I, you know, typically we work with what we would label as the tier A or the, the premier leaders in the event space and the fitness space. And if I were to look at those two buckets, um, the functions that we do for them really depend on what they are. So let me start with the event space. With the event space, we work with some of the larger event series um, in the world, including brands such as Spartan Race, uh, Tough Mudder, some of the larger marathons. And what we do there is a few things. One, for a lot of these brands, as you mentioned, were just in their infancy in 2009, 2010, and now they're all over. We focused on first um, recruitment. So how do we help these brands, one, recruit new participants into their event? And then once we get them there, how can we provide a truly engaging experience for them so that when they leave, we could then retain them. So we focused on recruiting um, participants to come into the brand and experience the brand. And a big part of that is finding the right person. We, right from the start, are very clear that your brand might not be for everyone, but there's a big market out there. And how can you find the right people? So we help them with using data to identify who their brand appeals to the most. This way, really focusing resources on making sure that we could bring people to enter the brand that would stay um, for the long term. So once they got into the brand and you know it came to an event, for example, we innovated and we wanted to make our experience really different. So we did that by doing things like not doing a bib pickup um, the day before, by not pre-assigning bibs, by using mobile apps to check in and not having these paper waivers, for instance. Once you experience the event, we, we used modern technologies like face recognition, live GPS tracking, for tools that weren't typically available to most major events. And after they finished the event, we innovated in areas like photos, where we said, instead of having people pay for your photos, which is what was normal at the time, give them away for free because your best ambassador is your happy consumer. So why would you have them Thing that they could then share on social media. And of course, the timing of that was just so right because Instagram had just launched, Facebook had, had already taken off. So when we enabled free photos with our events, it helped our brands really take off and spread the message and the vision of the brand. And after that, we wanted to keep 
consumers engaged. We then work on concepts on how can we keep them engaged as year-round. So you don't just think about the event for that one weekend or two weekends a year when you're actually doing it, but you're really engaging them all day long. And we did that by introducing things such as um, food, nutrition, um, wellness, recovery, and really providing content, providing apps uh, that people could, could engage um, throughout the year. I love that. You know, Mohammed, you brought up such a great point of helping brands understand who their ideal client is and who they're marketing to. I see a lot of brands make the mistake of trying, and fitness professionals also, trying to be everything to everybody. And you're better off serving your niche, identifying your niche, setting up your key differentiators, what makes you special as opposed to other brands or other experiences and narrowing in on those and just driving those home and beating that drum day in and day out instead of just trying to appeal to everybody. There's enough business out there to still get your part of the market share. I think a lot of people think, oh, if I narrow down a niche, then I'm missing out. You know, Instead of focusing on what they're going to capture, they're focusing on what they're going to miss out. So there are so many fitness businesses right now that are really kind of like scrambling to get on the tech side. And I know that you work with a lot of top tier brands what advice would you give to somebody that maybe owns a couple of gyms in you know, a small town or somebody that's kind of just looking for a baseline, looking to get started? What would you tell them to do? Well, I think the idea of what a gym is and what it means to people in the current world that we live in is still evolving and that's still changing. Um, if you were to ask me the same question, six months ago, I would give you a very different answer. Uh, right now, it's, it's really tied to what you just said. It's identifying, you know, as a fitness brand, what makes you unique? What makes you special? Because before, we were really focused on getting the brand close to you. So knowing that, hey, there's a Soul Cycle studio around the corner. You can go to Orange Theory around the corner. And, and what we found is the closer a studio was to you, um, the more prone that you were to go to that studio and make that a consistent part of your weekly schedule. But today, with everyone being at home for a few months, um, I think that's changed. And I think that for a fitness professional, um, everyone is unique. Everyone is, are looking for people to relate to. The key there is offering something for your brand. So in other words, if you are a gym in a small town, your audience is now beyond that small town and you have an opportunity to take that brand beyond that. Yes, people can uh, still come in and can experience your brand in person, but how do you make that unique? Um, and in order to be successful, in order to retain your consumer month over month, that's really important. I think the second point that we've seen is that consumers want to relate to coaches and your Gym and your brand, it's a lot more than just that. That's one level. But when you go a level deeper, that personal connection between the consumer and the trainer or and the coach and that personality um, is really compelling because if they can relate to their story, whether they were divorced, whether they have children, they're a dad, they're a mom, um, they're a student, whatever that, that is, typically keeps the consumer engaged, it keeps them motivated. 
um, and keep yeah. So that's that would be my my one advice. I love that, and I think you bring up such a good point. There is that human connection. I think a lot of people, you know get the feeling that, oh, there's so much technology and we're losing that human connection, but we're really not. We're just even getting more access to one another. And I think that the brands that are most successful show that human side. You know, it's not all about the professional photos. I love a good branded photo, but there's also this kind of human element, you know, uh, about, you know, showing what's going, really going on with somebody and showing the personal side of people's um, struggles and and what else is going on to make them relatable and approachable. And that human connection is really what keeps consumers coming back, like you mentioned. So what do you think is kind of like the next wave for the future for your clients that you've been working with that already have, you know, their digital apps set up? You've helped them with that. They've set up their digital platforms. Where do you see things going? What kind of advice are you giving to the fitness businesses that you're working with? Yeah. So there's two sides of that that we look at. One, we really believe that the mind space recovery and just wellness is really key. I think that that is a real undervalued part of fitness where we're still focused on this go, 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 getting your heart rate up, the actual workout when the recovery is really where progress happens. So consumers are becoming more in tune with that and brands are attention to that as well. But aside from that, with brands themselves and how we can make the apps more relevant, we are working on connecting um, as much of the consumer that we can to the app. So how are we doing that? We're doing that by integrating wearables, making it very easy for someone to use their existing wearable and not forcing them to put something on that they might not already have. So if you already have a Fitbit, if you have an Apple Watch, if you have a Garmin, let's connect with that device. Let's not make you go get something else. And then providing context to the data. I think wearables that are out there are fantastic. I think um, everyone should have one. You know, how it could, be, it could be something really simple, something really complex, that's fine. But the value in wearables for a brand is that you can collect the data and provide context to that consumer. And here's what I mean by that. Um, You might be wearing an Apple Watch that tracks your sleep, it could track your steps, it can track your activity, maybe even your food. But what does it mean to you, right? And if you are relating to a brand and you say, or or a coach, that I can relate to this coach, they could now consume that data and provide feedback to you. They could say, you know what? You're training seven days a week. In order to see progress, you really need to have a rest day. you know, you, you're active for 30 minutes in a day and then you're sitting for nine hours a day. Maybe if you just move around a little bit, it might help alleviate some of your back issues. Putting a brand's spin, and I'm careful using the word spin because it doesn't have a good meaning, but, but putting the brand's philosophies and ideas into the data, I really think that's the next step. So the last, you know, five to eight years, a lot of brands have been focused on just moving their content online, getting on people's phones, increasing engagement. And that's, that has set the foundation for this next level of engagement. Mohammed, I think you identified a real opportunity for fitness and wellness brands. I know personally as a consumer, you know, I've been in the fitness industry for 18 years. However, as a consumer, I'm overwhelmed with the amount of data. Lack of data is not a problem, right? Anybody can look 
at stuff online and get access to so much information. But filtering that data is where the real opportunity lies. And I think you made such a great point. If I was receiving information that pertained only to me, that would be so beneficial in my specific needs, as opposed to going online and seeing just everything and not knowing what applies to me or, or not. So that makes a lot of sense. And I, I do see that as a huge opportunity. Um, so talk to me a little bit about CEO life. There might be a listener here that's looking to start their own brand. And talk to me a little bit about what that entrepreneurial journey and what the CEO life is like outside of the office. Like, what does that look like for you? Um, it, it's, it's quite a bit to manage. And I think that you have to be really flexible. You know, the, the key advice that I would give to new entrepreneurs, a lot of entrepreneurs love using sports analogies or war analogies. There's a lot of books out there that are from former Navy SEALs and they provide really good lessons. But you know, when I entered this and I had to learn this the hard way, um, what I learned is using a sports analogy or a war analogy is a finite concept. So in other words, um, you know, you're typically comparing two teams going against each other or you're comparing two countries going against each other. And there's a winner and then there's a loser at the end. And it's also set within the bounds of rules. There are rules and how you play a game and, and what you can do. And after that period of time, it's now over. Entrepreneur life is none of that because it's infinite. So I compare you to finite to infinite. And what I mean by infinite is that you could start a business and you're also juggling a lot of other things in your personal life. The rules are that there are no rules. I mean, you have to work within the legal frameworks of the countries or the state that you operate in. But aside from that, there are no rules. You can have a new competitor come up in a year. Winning doesn't really mean anything. There is no end game. The real goal of your business is to see how long you can stay in business for until you exit. And hopefully someone wants to have a successful exit. I think, you know, it's that mindset of knowing that you're in this infinite game. It's okay to look at it like a game, but the mindset I think that is important for entrepreneurs is going in this infinite game. If you have that mentality and then you set up your schedule with that mentality that you're really here for the long term, then don't do things that are a sprint. Understand that this is a, this is a marathon and make sure that you take care of yourself and you take care of your personal life. It, this is not about sacrificing and you know, I've heard entrepreneurs, oh, I've been working you know, 20 hours a day. You're going to get burnt out. And if you really want to be there and be a leader for your family, be a leader for your employees, you've got to start by first being a leader for yourself. And the fact that you know, I get to be in fitness and I get to get in front of and learn from amazing brands, I'm, I feel like I, I am at an um, advantage that most entrepreneurs might not have because I have so much access to information and people, but I make time for myself. And to me, that journey that I work out in the morning, I find it really hard to work out in the afternoon. Some people swear by it, but, but I can't. I'm a morning workout person and I block at 90 minutes uh, for me. And that you know, includes my workout, includes some coffee, um, and then I head into work. But I also don't operate with such rigid um, schedules that I can't afford flexibility in my life. So I think just don't get disappointed. Um, 
you know, there are ups, they're going to be downs, but you've got to maintain pretty even composure. And I found that by, by doing that, by taking care of yourself, and by not trying to just sprint and not by just thinking about winning, um, you could be in this for quite some time. I love your outlook. Um, you know, I think that sometimes people, we make the mistake of trying to be too rigid with ourselves. And I've definitely done that before. And now I've kind of found that middle ground next to my nightstand. I have a paper that says two non-negotiables that must happen every day, meditation and movement. That's it. Like those, that has to happen. Um, And I do think, you know, one thing I like to kind of talk about and expose is, you know, the, the dirty little secret of the fitness and wellness space is sometimes, you know, the people, the leaders in the fitness and wellness space are actually, you know, neglecting their health because they're, they're promoting it. They know the importance of it, but they get so, you know, caught up in the cog of the wheel, you know, just like pushing and pushing and pushing and, and, it, and it, you know, what you said makes a lot of sense. I, I have heard people that, you know, say I, I hardly haven't slept and all of this and they wear it like a badge of honor, but you know, that's gonna, everything has a timeline, right? So <laughs> it's hard to everything maintain that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, look to me, as long as I'm home and I'm not traveling, I'm making it for dinner at, you know, 6.30, putting my baby to sleep every night, I block out two hours in the evening and I don't miss it. And just like that, I don't miss my workout. There's plenty of hours in the day to do what you need. Um, if you feel like you don't have enough time, then you're not prioritizing the right things to work on. That's the key. Yeah. And I think the to-do list is never going to end. You're never going to have a yeah. day where you're like, oh, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to hang up my hat. Mm-hmm. I've accomplished everything. The list, you check one thing off, you add two more and you just have to keep chipping away and know that it's going to happen. It's okay to rest. It's not a bad thing to take 20 minutes and read a book or, or you know, just sit in silence and take a pause. I'm actually reading an amazing book called The Power of the Pause. And it, we are so reactive instead of pausing and taking that time. And then we end up making bad decisions. So, um, so tell me a little bit about your ideal client for um, Sweatworks. If somebody is listening to this podcast and they're like, you know what, I really could use some help with my business. Who is your ideal client? Yeah, I think someone that one has a great idea, that has a great concept, whether it is in its infancy or whether it's been around for 10 years, that's really important. Because if you have a unique concept that makes you special and that has really been solidified, then that's something that we can work with to help you reach new consumers or help gauge your current consumers better. Second is investment. You know, you need to have the capital, whether that's going to come in-house or whether you're going to go externally, but if you are deciding to go digital, there is no secret about it. It's at a big expense. There's a lot of resources, there's a lot of build out. Um, So we look for someone that has that. Third, we look for someone that really has, I think, a a realistic um, timeline and understand that doing an app strategy, doing a connected solution isn't something that you'll get in three months. To do it the right way, you really have to have a roadmap of you know, six months a year. I think this current crisis has shown us that where I think people have done a great job in going to Instagram and Zoom 
to get the brand out there just to be a quick fix, but it's not a long-term plan. No one can really monetize off of free Instagram workouts or saying you could donate for these classes. While I think it can sustain itself through this crisis, it's not a long-term plan. That takes a lot of thinking and planning. Um, so our ideal client, I think, is someone that has national or international um, consumers, right, or uh, that wants to grow um, in that regard. I think that has a good brand that they worked on uh, at least, or, or have a good idea of, uh, for and can afford to make the investment in time and money to execute on that plan. We work with everyone from established brands like Equinox uh, to new brands that are being started by a venture fund. So I think um, our clients spread both of those areas. You brought up such a good point with, you know, nothing sustainable is built overnight, right? (laughs) Nothing that's everlasting is, you know, is just going to show up overnight. So it does take time. And I think sometimes people get, you know, a little nervous or desperate and they're like, they feel the urgency immediately, but it just takes time to build something special and unique um, to your brand. So that's a great point there. So it sounds like you have had success after success have you had any struggles in business what's been your biggest struggle yeah i think it's taken quite a bit of time to come to where we are today i think one thing i'll look back is from a growth perspective not just in revenue but in employees we've grown every year since we have started and this year is our largest growth year ever Um, however that's not to say that we haven't had our failures we have had a lot of failures and I would point to, when I go back and look at our failures, it really comes down to where we have overcommitted on what we can deliver on. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make because you are eager and you're just excited and you are well-intentioned where you want to provide that product or service and you want to execute and exceed your client's expectations. But in reality, if you were to take a step back, um, you were probably too aggressive in that. And we've done that. We've been guilty of that. I think uh, a few mistakes that we've made are, one, we underrepresented under the amount of effort that something would take. And then I think we, un- so then we are proceeding with a timeline and a budget that isn't realistic. The second thing is, on the, on the flip side, is not knowing your value. Um, as an entrepreneur, it's, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, some of them yet yeah, think they're worth more than what they really are. But for, for the most part, most of the entrepreneurs that I've met have been building their businesses and they haven't really had a lot of outside input. And when you speak to them and you understand what they've built, you can't help but be impressed. And you're like, you know, you've built something that's really special. You're undervaluing yourself. You need to go out there and establish yourself as a thought leader in this category. And I think we fall into that as well. I think we've done and innovated. We have several patents that we own. Uh, We've created new technologies. um, And and I think there are times where we might be up against a large agency and we are kind of, you know, thinking of ourselves as a smaller boutique agency, but we could compete. Uh, So I think entrepreneurs also make the mistake where they don't establish their value the right way. That makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. So if one of our listeners wants to find out more about Sweatworks and how they can work with you, where would they find you? 
and the best through our website, swapworks.net. We have a contact form in there. We have a portfolio of some of the projects that we've worked on. Um, they can shoot us a quick note. And uh, you know, we also have openings as well. If you're interested in fitness and technology, and if you fit one of our open descriptions, feel free to apply. Wonderful. Thanks so much for taking the time to explain everything to us. And I loved hearing about your personal journey as well. It's very inspiring. I I know everyone aspires to be CEO and an entrepreneur and start their own business, you know. So this was hearing your take on how you develop this and how you were able to establish it and also how you service your clients has been really uh, insightful and, and helpful. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us and we will catch you next time. Thank you so much, Vanessa, and best of luck on your podcast. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Vanessa Severiano. I have a huge favor to ask of you. If you found value in this episode, I'd love it if you would please subscribe, review, and share this episode. It would really mean so much to me. I truly love connecting with fitness and wellness experts. So if you'd like to be on the show or are looking for help in your business, definitely drop me a line and connect with me. You can find me at hello at vanessaseveriano.com or my social media handle. Since my last name is not the easiest to spell, I'm going to go ahead and make it really easy for you and link my contact details in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Catch you on the next episode.